the Baha'i faith, good deeds, nice people, and a history of being persecuted, abused, and insulted, let's face it, not everybody appreciates the teachings of the Baha'i faith. The Baha'i faith encourages racial unity and interracial harmony, so racists don't like it. The Baha'i faith upholds the equality of women, so sexists don't like it. The Baha'i faith proclaims the harmony of science and religion, so the superstitious don't like it. And because the Baha'i faith teaches that tolerance and love are the very foundations of a healthy community, extremist fanatics don't like it. So, if you're a racist, sexist, superstitious fanatic, chances are you won't like the Baha'is at all. But if you have an open mind and a kind heart, hey, call us. You sound like a Baha'i already. For more information on the Baha'i faith, simply look in the phone book under Baha'i, B-A-H-A apostrophe I. Of course, Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming streamlined studios of Outlaw Radio, in a fine bunker in the hills of Encino, where industry and nature work hand-in-hand hand to create a better life for all of us, the following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. I am the legendary Burl Bear. Welcome to True Crime Uncensored. Joining me, of course, co-host Howard Lapidus, manager always, to the star. Always, 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 always a pleasure to uh, to be your co-host and, and the uh, the location again, which is good. Yeah. And, um, Mark C.G. Boyer is here. Hello. Steve Great. Gonzalez. Steve, you're under more pressure than an astronaut. This is the highlight of your media career. You've been on 75 TV shows as a constitutional law expert. but So what are you doing on this show? Yeah, so we figured that this has got to be the pinnacle. Anyway, this is perfect. Professor Steve Gonzalez from the one of the founders of the Phoenix School of Law, which is a real law school, if I remember correctly. Yes, the Phoenix School of Law, which, by the way, has absolutely nothing to do with the University of Phoenix. Um, and there's sometimes confusion because of the name. Because I can't, so, so I can't go to you and you'll you'll mail me a, a law degree. No, can't do that. <laughs> okay. uh, God, I was it's a real hoping. law school, ABA accredited in Phoenix, Arizona. Now, being as you're a supposedly, well, I assume you are, because TV networks are always calling on your wisdom, a constitutional uh, law guy, uh, the latest Supreme Court decisions about sniffing dogs. Not that I want to sniff a dog, mind you. Well, some dogs are quite nice. What happened? Uh, Actually, the Supreme Court came down with a couple cases recently. In fact, just this past Tuesday, one of them is a case of uh, Aldo, the well-trained dog. And uh, <laughs> it's like Rin Tin Tin or something. Yeah, and that's Aldo, not Alpo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that Alpo. But uh, basically, the uh, in simple terms, what happened was the um, uh, a police officer stopped the fellow driving in Florida, noticed that he was acting nervous, and asked if he could search his car. the The guy says no, and uh, the officer gets his dog out of the car and has it sniff around the car, and it indicates that there's something illegal there in the car. Yeah. And uh, so what happens is um, he does a search and he finds um, something, uh, an illegal substance to make meth. Yeah. But actually not what the dog has been trained. The dog has been trained to find narcotics. Oh, so the dog is uh, operating off-label. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's wow. right. Yeah, it's, it's I'm, I'm impressed. An, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, no, I really am. <laughs> it's a smart dog, right? So anyway, it goes to court. He gets convicted. Uh, actually, while he's waiting trial, he uh, he's out on bail, 
And it happens again. The a police, uh, the same cop stops him with Aldo, and uh, Aldo, who went one of the best schools I think in town, yeah. um, uh, sniffs something illegal. But this time they can't find anything. So the, it, he's he's eventually convicted. It goes all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and the court uh, says that. Uh, as long as basically what the court did was take Florida, the Florida courts to task. They had um, a re, uh, said that there's there's all kinds of extra evidence you have to show to prove that a dog is is uh, good evidence. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. Supreme Court said as long as you can show, uh, you know, under what they call the totality of the circumstances, that all things considered, the training, the experience, the uh, uh, oh, the strength. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, you know, best in show degree. I don't know. <laughs> Steve, whatever, Steve. whatever that you can show that that would be enough. Now, uh, my uh, my gal back in Michigan is listening to this in Birmingham, Michigan, is a dog lover, so she'll appreciate this. I think <laughs> the uh, the long um, um, long and short of it is though is that as long as you can show by the totality of the circumstances that it was reasonable then uh, there was enough probable cause to uh, to conduct the search from the dog, you know, alert that there's something illegal What about on. the guy saying that he didn't consent to a search? Yeah, even if he didn't consent, um, because uh, uh, the dog itself can provide the... Uh, the evidence to uh, what's called probable cause. Steve, if I may, Steve, if I may, uh, no, sorry, okay, go if ahead. I may, if if someone says you're not, you can't search my car. They can bring a dog, and then if he sniffs something, they got probable cause. Right. That's that's what they say. It's yeah, basically, Steve, basically, yeah. Uh, if the if the dog alerts something there, yeah, but um, the dog was on the outside of the car though, so it'd be another question if he. If the police officer tries to start, you know, opening up and searching, that might require more proof. If the, the, if the case, dog alerts outside the car, he's got probable cause. But I know cops who have trained their dogs to bark and act as if there's something in the car on command. Like they'll well, say something to him like, Schwarze, and also the dog will go, oh, oh, oh. What's the matter with you? Well, yeah, that's what true. Is, what that's is my, wrong that, with you? That's my stuff. Um, <laughs> and don't be doing my no. material. Uh, Steve, yeah, Steve, well, Steve in all seriousness. It's, it's, it, yes, it is true. Hey, hey, Steve, this is Howard. In all seriousness, yep. how does a case like this, and, and take us on the on the journey, how does a case like this get all the way up to the Supreme Court? Well, uh, the, the Supreme Court is most concerned about errors of law, not just facts. And if you read it really carefully, what they were more concerned about was not just the dog and this particular defendant, but the, the way in which the Florida Supreme Court interpreted the Fourth Amendment. And in fact, this was actually a, uh, a, a unanimous uh, decision. All the conservatives, all the liberals, moderates, everybody on the entire Supreme Court, all nine justices agreed. And uh, as I say, what they're really concerned about was how the Florida Supreme Court had misunderstood the interpretation of the Fourth <laughs> Amendment. So what was the, what the long and the short of this one was what? What did they find? Well, the long and short of it is that if you're a defendant and you want to challenge a dog that has, you know, found contraband or evidence against you, that the, the test that the court has to use is all of the, look at all of the circumstances. In other words, you can't just say, well, you don't have a certificate from the right school. 
or you don't have uh, enough good notes, field notes from the last 10 stops. It's, it's, it's a technical legal question saying what, what the police have to show in order to prove that the dog is, you know, was a, is reasonable. So, you, so, so whose think, side were you on? <laughs> it was not anybody's side. <laughs> no, I was about to ask almost the same question: is how do you feel about the decision, you yourself, Steve Gonzalez? Myself, well, I think it's reasonable. Sure, um, the uh, the it's really, as I say, a technical question that uh, you know how do we challenge the dogs? Uh, you know, as, you know how accurate are they? Now that doesn't necessarily mean that, like like you were saying earlier, that it can't be um, mis. Uh, you know, misapplied or that somebody, you know, a, a bad cop could cheat and train their dog to bark at anything. Sure, there can always be uh, instances of, uh, you know, departing from what the law really intends. That can always happen. But on paper, at least, the principle, I think, is fine. It's just saying that uh, let's look at the whole facts and see how how accurately trained the dog is, okay. even if he now, didn't go to the best school. Even, now, at the same time, there was another case of similar concern before the Supreme Court on whether a, a search warrant is served on a guy and the guy's eight blocks away in his pajamas. Can they go get him? Yeah, well, he actually wasn't in his pajamas. But what had happened was, in uh, another case just decided this past Tuesday, uh, called Bailey versus the United States, the um, what I call the short arm of the law, the uh, police had a valid search warrant, and they were about to search, uh, getting ready to search an apartment. And while they're getting ready, some detectives watching the apartment see the the person, two people leave the apartment, get in a car, and drive away. So these two police officers follow that car for about a mile away from the apartment, then stop them and and uh, conduct a search. And they had no other reason to stop them other than the fact that they knew there was a search warrant to, to search the apartment. And a um, uh, Supreme Court, a pretty strong majority, said, well, that's going too far. You, you have to have probable cause to stop somebody. They said there are exceptions. An old case called Michigan versus Summers said that if you're going into a house, say, for example, to, and you have a valid search warrant, that you can detain people in the house at the time you're executing the warrant for reasons of, like, safety or to make sure that they won't destroy evidence or other factors. But all of those reasons, the logic of allowing you to detain people during a search warrant, doesn't apply when they're a mile away from the house. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm pardon my ignorance. I still don't know what you're doing in the courtroom. What are you? Why are you there? Why you are you? Why are you? Whose case are you taking? Are you defending the Constitution, or are you just just defending the uh, the, the accused? No, 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 Kip. He, he's a, he's a, a a professor specializing in constitutional law. And? So what he's doing is interpreting oh, for I'm us sorry, today. Oh, I'm sorry, professor. He's, pardon me. He's 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 commentating. On, he's commentating on uh, two cases that were uh, adjudicated on Tuesday. And how do you how do you feel about the decision uh, uh, on both cases? How do you feel personally as a professor? Yeah, well, well, I, actually, I, I would I find them both of the decisions pretty reasonable. The one that says you can't uh, you can't use a search warrant. Uh, to, you know, a mile from the house certainly makes sense. The, 
what what the court is concerned about there is that it, where's the limit then? What if what if the person gets on a plane and lands in another city? Can you use that search warrant on the other side of the city okay, to say? Okay, but what what? Why would did the police stop these particular gentlemen? Because they left the apartment they, that was going to be searched. Yeah, they figured. Uh, they, so, they, under what grounds did they search these gentlemen? None. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the, the reason. Case. Because they left the apartment that was about to be searched. Was it at night? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. I don't know the time of day, but when they stopped them a mile away, they did find. Um, so, uh, uh, the guy admitted that he was from that apartment, and then later he denied it. And they, used, they, took his key, they took him back to the apartment, used this key to show it worked. So they were trying to tie him to a handgun in the apartment. That's so what if, was going if, on. If, so, if someone breaks into my house and I see them climbing out of the window and uh, running up the street, and they've got a black T-shirt and, uh, and pink shorts on. So obviously um, they got that from your drawer. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, Along yeah, with the tutu, and, yeah, and do they? Yeah. If I were a police officer, I would ever have every right to stop and question them. And uh, yeah, but that wasn't the issue in this case. That wasn't the issue. The issue was there was a search warrant issued for the apartment. They could go so, search the apartment before they even started that. Before they served the yeah, warrant, and on so their the guy, way, they see two guys leaving yeah, the apartment. What happens? They see the guy leave the apartment, and Guilty. then about a mile away. They stop them. Guilty. So, so, Steve, if if they knock on my door and, with a search warrant, my my best bet is to hightail it over the back fence. No, before, <laughs> I think that before, is too late. Yeah, before they serve the warrant. Yeah, before they serve the warrant, of course. Yeah, yeah but you don't yeah, know they're going to serve I you. I open the door. I shoot out the back door. I, <laughs> I hit the fence. I could walk out actually into the front of the house. And not only that, if they have no, no warrant hang on, at I all, I want to find out if I'm right or wrong. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the only thing is, I think police are pretty, you know, pretty used to looking at back doors. So <laughs> I, the problem is, if you run at that point, then you're going to look probably guilty later. Now, it used to be, correct me if I'm wrong, that in a search warrant, you had to detail what exactly it was you were searching for. Am that's I correct? That's still the case. No, that's still the case. I have seen police come back and take away the search warrant and come up with a new one after the fact. Yes, well, that can happen, too. Uh, I mean, uh, they can ask for uh, another warrant, but they're not, they, you know, if they get a warrant that's issued and then later try to change it, of course, that would be forgery. That yes. would be a crime. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. they can make a, a radio call and get an over-the-air uh, search warrant with a, with, a, with, a, with a number on it, a serial number, and go right back in. Yes, sir. That's absolutely right, and that, that's I think what we we shouldn't forget is that there is uh, uh, you know technology is changing this a lot, and of course the Supreme Court knows that they're, they're just saying, look, these are the hoops you got to go through because the Fourth Amendment was created to protect uh, you know individual citizens from the power of the state. I didn't even know the Fourth Amendment still existed. Well, we're we're lucky to have you on the air now because your area of expertise is shrinking quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a dog case once, uh, a real dog case. In yeah. fact, it was one of my first cases. Hmm? A dog, a dog case. When I was a young lawyer back in Michigan, a prosecutor, there was a. Uh, a dog that was running wild all over the neighborhood, and all the neighbors were very angry, but they could never catch it. Well, one day they finally caught the dog without a leash, 
And so I had to prosecute. And of course, technically, you're prosecuting the owner, not the dog. But <laughs> you think? <laughs> I was just checking. You put the dog on the stand. I was thinking of putting that dog up on the stand. Two barks. And we're good well, to that's go. what happened. I mean, under Michigan law, the, the judge could actually put the dog to death, making it my first capital case. <laughs> Is that true? The dog can put it. The, the, the judge. The dog if, can put the judge to death. If it's proven to be uh, a, a danger to society, yes. It, yeah, yeah, he paddled yeah, all the, over the on everyone's lawn. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not required, but the judge could do that. Now, what about the so, case you had with the dead fish? Well, that was in this one. Let me with the dog one though. I should mention that the dog got off. A French poodle named Fifi came and said he was with her that night. <laughs> it was really dramatic, and I was and, I and, lost well, my and that broke up her case. marriage to uh, Reginald, didn't it? My dog had a very special pillow to get off. He of. switched to <laughs> constitutional humor. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to my other job? Is that what yeah. you're telling well, me? Go, well, you, 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 you know, leave with the guy who came, you came with. <laughs> or the dog you came with. So now, I want to hear, hear about the dead bass in the middle of the courtroom. Well, that or was dead a, skunk uh, in the middle of the road. I was, also, when I was a prosecutor, one of my first cases when I was very young, one of my first cases was, uh, you know, a really big one. It was hunting, fishing without a license. Mm. And... Uh, Unfortunately, the police officer seemed to think that was, uh, you know, a serial fisher or something. He was taking. Oh, listen to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to prosecute it, and um, of course, it, you know, it, it was uh, hot. It was midsummer fishing, and uh, unfortunately, the courthouse air conditioning had broken down. And That's of course, unfortunate. The you know what the major piece of evidence is? Schwitz. This is the fish. Yeah, frozen bass. <laughs> well, unfortunately, the fish had been melting all morning by the time our case came up. Waiting in the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> you know the employee that brings fish to work and puts it in a microwave? Yeah. Well, I'm afraid that was me. <laughs> I liked I liked the line about in, in in the hall of justice. The only justice is in the hall. <laughs> <laughs> you may well, quote fish, him on that. The, the, the aroma of that bass filled the courtroom, and the judge kept looking at it through the corner of his eye. And as it got worse, everybody started talking faster and faster. <laughs> Did anyone ever heard of an ice pack or? This was before ice packs. Uh, yeah. And they yeah, hadn't invented snow cones yet. This was in Michigan. They didn't yeah. have ice packs in Michigan. Nice. Hey, I, I'm, from looking over your, your incredible resume of strange things that you do. And have done. And have done and continue to do. Uh, was there really a lot of stuff for you to do for veterans? I mean, what is veteran law? Well, you know, you, there are two aspects to that. Uh, you know, uh, one is, of course, helping veterans with... Um, returning veterans with the Veterans Administration and all the red tape and getting, you know, the right, sometimes the right certification for medical benefits. Sometimes it's contested. That's one aspect. The other aspect, though, is a lot of our returning veterans have so much problems that we know with, um, you know, reintegrating into civil society. So there's a high incidence of certain types of crime, of um uh, you know, there's also high incidence, high incidence of divorce. And so there really is a need for uh, representing, uh, uh, you know, our returning veterans who don't, don't necessarily have the money at first to, to have their own counsel. So do you work pro bono? Well, our, our law clinic uh, is pro bono. I, I'm not in private practice since I'm a full-time law professor. 
So, so what oh, we okay, did was- I'm sorry. It's the the mist is clearing. Yeah. <laughs> we have to take a 60-second break, Professor. We'll be right back with Steve Gonzalez on True Crime Uncensored. Hey, gang. This is Lori Downey Jr., and I've got a message just for you. If you own a cell phone, and we know... Hey, gang. This is Lori Downey Jr., and I've got a message just for you. If you own a cell phone, and we know you do, or ride a plastic pony in front of Albertsons, you're no longer tied to your computer. You are now safe to roam while Barstow's burning, and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go. Grab an Outlaw Radio app from RadioLoyalty.com, the smoking, drinking, interrupting 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your cell phone or Apple device is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends on Outlaw Radio. You know the demons of decadence. Change the way you listen to radio seven days a week. Now available free at RadioLoyalty.com. Just punch in Outlaw Radio. Hi, I'm the legendary Burl Bear, raised on records, born to rock and roll, rock to the cradle of rhythm and blues. Around here they call me Uncle Crazy, but in my spare time, I'm a famed true crime author and famous television personality. <laughs> I'll teach you if they can't hear you because I have my microphone on and yours is off because I'm doing a commercial or an advertisement or a public service announcement. And the announcement is, on March 2nd, 6 p.m., on Investigation Discovery, the legendary Burl Bear will be appearing on Deadly Sins talking about Mom Said Kill. Yes, Barbara Opal promises her 14-year-old daughter a brand new dirt bike if she and her little friends will murder her employer. Tell you one thing, the kid never got the dirt bike. So, make sure you're watching next Saturday night, 6 p.m. and again at 9 p.m. to see me looking charming on television on Deadly Sins on Investigation Discovery. In the meantime, please buy all my books. C.G. Boyer, and sometimes Marie Mecke, Esquire. You all. Loving it. Produced by Magic Matthew Allen. And who produces him? Who in turn is produced by Lori Downey Jr. Yes, Kippadonna has something to say. My lady says that girls cross their legs, ladies cross their knees. And don't cross my path. So, <laughs> Professor, anything in the Constitution about that? It's just <laughs> uh, not my copy. Uh, maybe a footnote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a footnote. All right. Tell me something. You also um, uh, Indian law. Yes, is, is something that you've done. Can I ask a question? Sure. Uh, sure. Uh, now, give it a shot. Okay, because uh, I have this 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 fantasy that I have about. Uh, uh, yeah, we know about some of those fantasies. No, 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 I don't. <laughs> I think we're back to the pink underwear in the back window again. Yeah, it was me. So, so uh, I, I just think about the day when uh, the tribe, I don't know what tribe it was, got all their money together and they, they took the smartest young kid in the tribe and they were able to get him to Harvard and he went to Harvard and he went to Harvard Law School and he came back to the tribe and he was at the big tribal meeting. This is somewhere in the 70s, I think. And uh, he's there with all his books, and, and the chief's up there, and he goes, excuse me, chief, chief, chief. I was reading our deal here with the U.S. government, and it says that, uh, right here, uh, Clause 457, <laughs> deep in this book, it says that we can uh, have gambling here on the reservation. 
Um, so I was thinking maybe a bingo game might be uh, in order. <laughs> Did it happen that way? No. Actually, oh. <laughs> the story, which is actually a California story, is, is quite surprising, which I always enjoy telling my students because it's, uh, it shows you how Indian law and you know, Indian relations really works. What happened was, if, you, if you'll remember, back in the 80s, Pete Wilson, Governor Wilson, yeah. mm-hmm. um, uh, was, he was very incensed at a small little card game in the Cabotown Reservation out near Palm Springs. I've been to that game. Yep. <laughs> and he, he actually had the police raid it. Was it and, there for that? It was, it was insignificant. At this time, there were no casinos at all in America. I mean, on, on tribes, I mean, on reservations. Right. And what happened was it, uh, it went all the way to the United States Supreme Court. And the issue was whether or not the state criminal uh, apparatus had authority over Indians on a, uh, on a tribe, you know, on a reservation. Now, it's a little more complicated than that, but that was the basic issue. And the Supreme Court said, well, no, not, no, they don't. That's a federal issue, not a state. Right. And then what happened was after that, the Reagan administration basically looked around, read the opinion, and said, you know what? Why don't we encourage gaming on reservations? And they saw it as a way to try and lessen uh, federal expenditures on reservations. Was that the same way they got Indians to drink? Let's encourage that, too. (laughs) So, I mean, essentially it was non-Indians promoting gaming, and the Indian nations pretty much said, sure, if you want to do that, we're not going to oppose it. And so Congress passed the Gaming Act, and uh, I think it was 1987 or 88, after that case, and it states still today that the policy of the United States is to encourage gaming on Indian reservations. Boy, this makes me think of the movie Casino Jack. <laughs> Have you seen that one? I, I don't think I've seen that That's one. That's where uh, uh, Kevin Spacey plays Jack Abramoff. Oh, yeah, I heard of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah Abramoff got uh, big trouble on uh, doing some uh, some deals there with the Indian reservations. Yes, yeah, sure. I remember. That was, uh, I think, down in uh, Louisiana or somewhere in the south that yeah. tribes he was working with, yeah. So, so, well, yeah a... that, so, I mean, it's really ironic that the tribes, you know, were not pushing it at all. And it was basically pushed on them. Once that happened, then, of course, around the country, they started promoting it. When did uh, So what was uh, Pete's um, problem with this three-table three room on a reservation? Well, you know, to be honest, uh, in my view, I think it was largely political. Um, he, uh, you know, he, he didn't like the idea of the tribe. He wanted to assert... Uh, state authority, state criminal authority over these, and this was a very tiny tribe, um, and uh, and it backfired. Yeah, <laughs> I say, so an acquaintance of mine uh, is the treaty protector guy for the Madras Indian Reservation up there in Oregon, and uh, you know he's supposed to protect uh, the, uh, the the nation, the tribe from invasion, you know, by attacks from outside foreign. I says, well, who who tries to invade? Who tries to do stuff? He goes, the state. Every, every 10, 15 years, they think they can go after the mineral rights, the water rights, etc. And uh, I got to slap them down. It's a never-ending battle. So like the Morongo Casino. <laughs> Is that sitting on Indian reservation property? Uh, just I don't off, know. Just off the 10? I mean, it could be conveniently located? Yeah, I've, I've seen it there Most coming likely. in from Arizona. 
I'm not sure if that's actually the, uh, on the res or if it's been granted to them. There, it's very complicated. Some some tribes own land, reservation land, but sometimes it's fee simple. You know, it's owned in different ways. But someone's making money. Oh, yeah. I saw, I saw but, com- but that's a good point, though. In the history of American-Indian relations, uh, in my personal studies, uh, I'd say most of the conflict comes with states and local governments. And actually, the federal government, while not great, has been much better than state and local government. Yeah, except maybe in Seattle uh, during the previous administration, when after they had this big ceremony honoring uh, Chief South, you know, uh, head of the, uh, you know, also as Chief Seattle, uh, then they declared oh, yeah. that the uh, the tribe never existed. <laughs> so they weren't going to give them anything else anymore. <laughs> they can suddenly decide you never existed. I think it's kind of pretty clever. But I lived on the Navajo Indian Reservation for several years, and it was a wonderful experience. I found the I learned so much. The people were tremendous. And, of course, the beauty of, uh, you know, the Four Corners area there is, is just immense. Where, where is the Navajo Reservation? It covers, it's the size of West Virginia, and it covers Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah. It's, uh, you know, it's where the four states meet in the corner. They, have the, oh, they all share a border. Right, the, the Four Corners yeah. there. And uh, it, it is... Uh, Beautiful site and uh, really a very impressive uh, uh, government and people there. I, I very much enjoyed enjoyed my years there. Has, I also the worked with the, Mo- the Mohegan. What's that? Has the train pulled out on Four Corners? I, what about it? Do, did he mention that they changed that? Well, I took a trip on Route 66 20 years ago. I stood yeah. there in Four Corners. That was not correct. A few years ago, someone did the the math. They they figured out that was not really where they all intersected. It was like a mile away, or, or you know, some yards away. But it, it was. So I never said. I mean, I, I I sat down on the thing, took a picture. But no, 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 no. It's Matt, and it's where the McDonald's location people said that it should be. <laughs> That's right. And they had to funny. make a left turn there too, right across the freeway to McDonald's. Works every well, if time. Well, they charge if they charge you to, to stand there. That explains it. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to ask a uh, a question on. Uh, the uh, immigration issues in your state certainly is in the focal point of some of these issues. But uh, the one the one piece of Are the we puzzle... the Indian Reservation thing? Yes. Yeah. Uh, one of the pieces <laughs> I wanted to talk about um, was the, um, the government's insistence that immigration is a federal enforcement issue and not a state issue. Yes. And I, I wanted to get your take on, on that piece of it. Well, and, and uh, yeah, that was the holding in the Supreme Court in the uh, Arizona versus United States case uh, uh, last year. And uh, I'm definitely on record as, as uh, long before that decision was uh, issued as uh, uh, you know agreeing with that. Here's the problem: if you have states trying to take, well, first of all, to begin with, if you look at the Constitution. It gives all the powers of the borders and the uh, immigration to the federal government and says absolutely nothing about states. And the the real problem, though, is if you have a state trying to take over powers that are meant for the national government, where does it end? See, I mean, what about, for example, the power to make a treaty or to declare war or to mint money? 
all of a sudden you don't have a United States anymore. You have uh, back like the old Articles of Confederation. You have 50 separate uh, entities that are going to start disagreeing with each other and making separate treaties, and and you know the whole thing will fall apart. So it's it's really an important point. The other thing too, if you really think about this for a moment, that uh, how important this is. If Arizona says, "Okay, we have the power to control immigration at our in our border," then Arizona cannot deny that exact same power to forty nine other states, and those forty nine other states don't have to follow the kind of law that Arizona wants. So you could have, for example, Florida saying, okay, well, then we get to have our own immigration laws, and we're opening the doors for Latin America. Or Minnesota saying, we're opening the doors for Canada. Or Maine saying, we're opening the door for, I don't know, Ireland or whatever. But which state opens for Latvia? (laughs) Yeah. Texas. (laughs) So the bone of contention uh, on this issue was... uh, uh, was the Arizona portion of the Arizona law that said that an officer who stopped somebody could ask for papers? Says that papers. <laughs> the papers. There's your papers. And uh, detain someone they suspected was there illegally. Right. Yeah. That, there's actually two different important parts here. The the other part about the power of Arizona. Uh, that part, the Supreme Court said basically in most instances, no, they can't. But on the, that one you just mentioned there, what the Supreme Court said was, and it was unfortunately it wasn't reported well in the media, what they said was, we're sending it back to Arizona. We're not going to decide this yet. First, we have to let the Arizona courts interpret what their own law means. And we're not going to do it for them. But then they went on to say, Arizona, if you interpret that really broadly, like, for example, you can stop somebody and hold them, say, five, six hours. I mean, that may be an American citizen. That, that may be you or me. Uh, and, and just hold them all day. They said, well, that's, that's unconstitutional. But they said, if you interpret it really narrowly, it might be okay. So that part, the show me, my, show me your papers part of the law, is still working its way through the courts. And there's several challenges going on right now here in Arizona. So that one hasn't played out yet. Correct. So, but uh, what? What's your feeling on 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 that piece of it? Well, what he's saying is we should just dump all the illegal immigrants. Oh, well, wrong, I, wrong part of the conversation. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I think we need comprehensive reform. It's, you, this piecemeal stuff is not going to fix anything. All that is doing is bloating the ego of local politicians. Uh, we we so, need to have you know Congress needs to do something. Right, so to, the decision is yours. Okay, what would you do next? What would you do? Well, I think, as I said, I, I would like to see Congress pass a comprehensive act that both helps secure the borders and that make, creates a pathway to citizenship. So, so, so what does that look like? Well, I, I think some of the proposals out there that uh, have already been proposed, uh, at least what I've heard of them, I haven't seen too many in writing. I'm talking about the Steve, I want the, I want the Steve Gonzalez proposal. Well, what? it would it would uh, it would allow for. Uh, uh, the citizens who haven't committed, you know, serious crime—I'm not citizens, excuse me—immigrants who haven't considered uh, c- committed a serious crimes a chance to get in line to become a citizen, as long as they pay their taxes and follow the law. I don't see any problem. That's what the whole country was built on. 
Okay, so they have to get in some sort of line. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think they should go to the front of the line. They should get back the back of the line behind those people that are ready properly in line. So it could take years and years. Well, that's okay. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, the Supreme Court pointed out that a deportation, this is what a lot of people don't realize, is actually not illegal. It's not a criminal process. It's civil. So this whole idea about illegal is somewhat misleading. It, it's always been, always, this is not new, always been the, the discretion of the U.S. government to decide when and who to deport as long as it's within the law, of course. So, so and, can, and that, as I say, is a civil process, not criminal. Yeah, because if it was criminal, wouldn't there be a trial and defense and all that stuff? Due process. Exactly. Yeah, there'd be due process, all of that. It's a civil process. And uh, in many instances, of course, the, the workers want to go back. But there's, there's such a, I mean, there's such a history here uh, that you have to look at. For 40, 50 years, the U.S. government brought, actually sent buses to Mexico to bring workers here. Paid them, gave them health insurance. It took them off in the same villages. So they had a tradition of all the young men, all the males coming here, all the way into that's the Brazero program that ended right around 1965. And that act, so it actually promoted this culture of coming here. That's very similar to the laws of show business, by the way. <laughs> well, they, they take buses to Canada and bring in comedians. and <laughs> That's what I did. That's what, yeah. Damn That's how Howard got here. Well, no, I'm, I'm not Canadian. Was Martin Short on that bus? Martin Short. He's on the short bus. bus. Thank you. Sir. Hey. Hey. Bump. Bump. <laughs> Where's Lori down here with her room shop when we need her? <laughs> She's here. She's here. Yeah. Oh, She's here. She's here. She's here. Um, so, so, uh, so... Uh, I don't know what the hell I want to say to you, Steve. <laughs> you, know, you know what I was thinking earlier, though? And, and I want to, because we're bouncing all over. You've got so many different uh, areas of expertise. It's very impressive, and we're really happy to have you here. And, and on top oh, of it, uh, uh, it's a fun afternoon spending it with you. The, the uh, question I've got, again, because I'd like to get your opinion. Is there a law, you know, we were talking about the... Uh, the search warrant thing that, and, and all that. But is, is there some laws on the books that you just think are completely unconstitutional when it comes to, to the rights of, of uh, U.S. citizens? Well, um, there's some that, you know, I, I can't think of anything that comes to mind. There's some that are stretched. You know, when you talk about unconstitutional, there's always two aspects. One is, as you say, as it's written, what lawyers call on its face. And the other is... Um, uh, as applied. So you could have a law that looks perfectly constitutional, but it's being consistently applied in an unconstitutional manner. Like what? Give me an example. Well, here's a simple example. You have, you know, First Amendment right, for example, maybe to uh, freedom of speech to protest in front of the courthouse. Okay. okay. So you could have a law that says, okay, you can um, protest between... You have to get a permit. You have to protest only between the hours of 8 and 5 p.m. or maybe 8 and 9 p.m. or, you know, 8 a.m., 9 p.m. You know, such time and, you know, you can only have so many decibels. Well, that's probably going to be held constitutional on its face. But if you're in, you know, local Yoko land and, you know, and it's only that permit is denied to everybody who's 
you know, unless you're Albanian, it's, it's, on paper, the law is fine, but the way it's being applied is unconstitutional. Prior restraint, that sort of thing. You can trust yeah, the Albanians. Yeah, well, that's better. another issue there. One of the interesting issues uh, that's up right now, uh, it's going to be argued uh, next week before the Supreme Court, is um, the DNA testing. Uh, there's a case out of Maryland where uh, a person, a guy was uh, arrested on an assault charge, just a basic battery fight kind of thing. And Maryland has a law that says if you're arrested for certain crimes, even if you're not convicted, you're just arrested, you're taken into the station, then they get to test your DNA. Well, they tested his DNA and found it matched for a very serious crime, rape, from something like uh, 10 years ago. Okay. All right. So the question before the court is, is that, you know, did they have the right under the... Is that, the, is that know, an appropriate search and seizure? Oh, you know what? Yes. <laughs> the guy raped the person. But no, we don't know that yet. Oh, We've got to go bro. back before they take we're, the DNA. We're, we're talking about 1.111 billionth of a, of a, of a, a chance of error. Are you kidding That's me? not the question. The no, question is, the do question. they have the right? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a great issue because it raises all those fundamental questions. On the one hand, the fear the government can go too far, but on the other hand, you have a very serious criminal. You got to get off the street Thank because you. odds are he's going to do it again. Mm, odds are you're right. Uh, silly silly question. Yeah. Um, isn't there some, uh, one of uh, our lovely amendments that? Uh, prohibits or, or allows one to avoid self-incrimination? Yes, but, but that, that's that been held pretty narrowly. To, that primarily refers to testify, to speaking, to answering questions. So the, the taking of blood by itself is not self-incrimination. Hmm. But, I mean, you got to think this through. Let's say that you are driving late at night, you're very tired, you're weaving, you get stopped, uh, that you had, let's say, a, a, a half a beer. The cops smell that he thinks you're drunk. He arrests you. You're not. You're completely legal. You're taken to the police station, and they take your DNA. And under by the, goodness, you raped somebody. No, no, we, you're jumping ahead. You're getting totally out of context, Howard. You haven't raped anybody. You're just driving a car. I'm just driving a car. They stop me. They take my DNA. That matches to no, a... no, 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 no. We have no. Leave that out of the equation. That hasn't right. happened. Okay. So you're just you, Howard Lapidus. Right, you're I'm driving late at night. It. It's just late at night. I'm going down Ventura Boulevard, weaving a little bit. I had a beer an hour and a half earlier, maybe a quarter of a beer, because it's as much as I can. But do. you're weaving because you're tired. I'm tired. Yeah. Right. And they take me in, and I'm I'm, I'm totally legal. Right so, under that Maryland law, they have the right to take your blood. Okay. And even though you have not had a trial, you haven't been convicted of so anything. They, they can take my blood. That's the under Maryland law. So is Correct. that what we're trying to? Is that what we're up against? The, yeah. We're up to the Supreme Court to say you can't take the blood. Well, that well, the court hasn't decided yet. It's going to be argued right, next week. Right, 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 right. That's a good argument. It's so, a very interesting case because certainly everybody oh, wants the criminal right. off the street. You know, the, the if you can catch somebody with DNA, that's fantastic. But on the other hand, there's a lot of people, and this is not really a conservative liberal, because there's a lot of people maybe who are conservative, but also and want to fight crime, as do many liberals. But on the other hand, 
they're they're also very concerned about the power of government. And you know, do, are we going to have a database of everybody's DNA? You know, those kind of fears. You see what I mean? Now, I, I want to get back to the Fourth so, Amendment, so, which is uh, go ahead, Howard. Thanks, Burrell. So, so about having a database with everybody's DNA. So what about our, our, our forefathers did not contemplate that. <laughs> no. But, no, I don't but think... Although Thomas Jefferson's DNA was spread pretty far. Thank you, my friends. All right, so, so, so... But now we have, you know... Uh, we've got big screen TVs for crying out loud. You know, you know, so... Yeah, all they had was black and white from Jefferson's Day. <laughs> was that a racist joke? <laughs> No, that's not. Oh, it was, wasn't it, bro? No, you're, you're getting racist again. I have to slap There's you There's no VHF All, right, all they had was radio then. Yeah. Actually, Jefferson was a proponent of Betamax. <laughs> Judge how far that got him. I used to Betamax every morning. Yeah, you did. Your arm got tired. Yes, I did. I want to go back to the Fourth Amendment because I've seen this, this thing of, you know, your house is under arrest where... In some states, such as the state of Washington, they come come into your house you, uh, with a search warrant. You could have the wrong house. You could be totally innocent. And they can take out of your house anything they want, and you never see it again. In Oregon, they can't do that unless you're found guilty of a crime. Then they can take all your stuff. In Washington, they can just take your stuff. And they well, say it's civil and not criminal. I, I don't know. That, I have to, that doesn't sound right to me. It doesn't sound yeah. right to me either, but that's the way it is. Yeah, I think what it is, it's probably the laws of, of uh, Washington on how you can get evidence returned to you. It's not so much the search. If you have a valid search warrant, uh, even if the police make a mistake, that's you know considered to be, well, that just happens sometimes. It's not intentional. But uh, that's, But it may be more difficult to get evidence back. That's probably where the red tape is. Yeah, because in some places, like for example, if you're in Tacoma, Washington, and there's a search warrant issued, and they and the cops go in and they take stuff, they write down exactly what they took. They say, we are taking a diamond ring shaped like thus and such, found in the left-hand corner of the drawer. In uh, Muckleteal, Washington, if the uh, task force comes in from Everett, they just take stuff, say, we took a bunch of stuff, it says. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah it's that sounds like a question of training and profession. Professionalism more than anything no, else. It's just, it's just uh, organized uh, grand theft. Because people never get anything back, and you ask for it back, they go, We don't know what you're talking about. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. It's a common problem. Uh, what else do you do in your spare time? So you do the constitutional law, you do the veterans. Uh, what's well, a couple other in Indians? Give some well, one of my, actually, my, uh, aside from constitutional law, my other area I spend most of the time on is. Mediation and conflict resolution. Well, we have plenty of conflict here in the uh, in the regular show. Yeah, in the Light Up Lounge. So usually conflict, conflict resolution in the Light Up Lounge consists of someone saying, you are a big dummy. <laughs> so so let, let me let me personalize this just one step further. So I can, I can come over there with my currently almost divorced ex-wife, and you can resolve our conflicts. Um, he's not that talented. <laughs> he's not... He's not like Captain Marvel Jr. <laughs> there are some well, actually, things... divorce law is a big area for mediation, but it's, it's the toughest area. You've got to be really experienced in divorce law to know that one, to do that one. We know somebody like that. Yeah, we know somebody like that. 
<laughs> I pay some. But, uh, <laughs> California actually has a great history in uh, promoting it and promoting um, mediation, which is so much better for people than litigation. It's so expensive and time-consuming. Much to the chagrin of attorneys. There's no, well, there's no question about that. But you know, it's also in California, and I guess in most states, the man gets screwed. And um, that's that. Yeah, that's the beginning and the end of the story. Any man that would actually get married in most states of this country is insane. It's the worst deal out there. <laughs> no, no, no. And I'm, and I'm saying that in a, in a nice way. Uh, I'm old-fashioned. I think marriage is great. So, well, you know, I, I do, too. I've done it a bunch of times. <laughs> so, His so, problem with women is in the plurality. Yeah, well, there's a problem there. But, but um, you know, and I'm glad Steve did find out that you're happily married. Because, you know, 50%... Uh, I'm actually single. No, no, let's not go there again because we all got into this whole thing about what percentage. Of, remember, Matt came in here and beat you up, Howard, a few weeks up? ago. Well, that's not the first time, <laughs> and he's not the first person to be. <laughs> well, we need some more resolution. Of our and it hasn't, it hasn't stopped. So, how is this conflict resolution thing working for you? To get any many arguments about it? <laughs> uh, I think it's a great field. You know, ironically, uh, since we were talking about dogs, we train our students. You know, with the simple cases, so they start out by doing uh, barking dog cases here in Phoenix, which are like twelve hundred a year. Yeah, well, it's a different people mad that their neighbor's dog is barking too much. So, so how many students? Exactly. Do you, how many students do you dump into the system every year? And I mean, uh, that, you mean uh, who graduate from law school or who are trained in mediation? Uh, graduate from law school, and then I want to take that to another another level. So, yeah, we graduate. I don't know, probably about. Uh, uh, it varies a little, maybe 120 to 200. So those, let's say 200, just a nice round number. Yep. How do they decide? Do they just decide this on their own? Are they encouraged um, as to what branch of law they they choose to uh, to specialize in? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean we've got we're a big law school. We have over about a thousand students, and um, my impression over the years of practice is that. Uh, Students usually come in, a big percentage come in with an idea of what they want to do. Uh, maybe two-thirds of them have a clear idea. There also tends to be fads, believe it or not, although those fads disappear. Right now, we're kind of in the phase where a lot of students come in and start law school and they want to go into criminal law. And the reality is they get this from television. They've been watching it. They all think they're going to put on their white gloves and you know be on CIS. Or CSI. Yeah, either one. Either one. It's, it's and, uh, you know, a few years ago, it was uh, sports and entertainment law in the 90s. In the 80s, it was uh, everybody thought they were going to do mergers and acquisitions and be on Wall Street. And, uh, you know, before that, there was environment and then civil rights in the early 70s and 60s. So, uh, there, you know, it, it can't help but reflect what, what's going on in society. But by the time they graduate, usually they're more focused. And, um, again, there's a good percentage, maybe a quarter, that are still not quite sure what they're going to do. So I would come to you and go, Professor Gonzalez, uh, you, yes. you, we know each other now. And you, you've, been, <laughs> you've been my, my, my mentor and, and, and my teacher. And which way do you think I should go? Well, I, you know, I would say something like... Um, um, have you thought about delivering papers? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I do that now. <laughs> Try chemistry. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. No, I, first thing, you know, um, I would ask them what their undergrad major was in. I usually start with that so I could get a feel. Did they have like a, a business or a science or a technical 
or a uh, you know humanities background. All right, so it's uh, speech, mass communications with a double major in psychology. Okay, so um, that's that's pretty broad, but it's, it doesn't tend to be in the technical area. So I, no, you know, no, you probably. No, no. Yeah, yeah, even so you're not into patents or no. com- computer law or something or like that. Or reading, for that matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, and then, uh, yeah, and then we would talk about, um, you know, the, the economy. The economy? Yeah, I mean, what what areas are, are booming right now? I could do 15% of anything. <laughs> He's an entertainment manager. I'm an entertainment manager. I can do 15% of a trillion five hundred in a split second. That's pretty good. Ask me to do five times seven, I'm, I'm stuck. As long as it's 15%, yeah, he's isn't home that free. 18? So good. From my meager experience. Um, and that it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> the, uh, the, the proverbial paper, uh, paper chase. Um, people go through all of the portions of law to get the, to pass the bar. They have a pretty good idea of what portions of it they liked and what portions they hated. I suppose. Yeah, it, it, you know, I, I went to a lawyer uh, once. He was uh, he was uh, the state lawyer for my father's estate, and I figured he's so smart. And, and my sister was just coming out of law school. And she was studying for the bar. And somehow in this meeting, it came up. Uh, you know, Don was the state lawyer. You know, could Don pass the bar? And I go, well, could Don pass the bar? He's one of the finest lawyers you'll ever meet. Don looks at me and goes, I couldn't pass the bar if I had to right now. And that's because I mean, there's such concentration on the bar, and then you finish the bar, and then a year later you're in private practice, and you forget most of the other stuff. That's right. It, you get it telescopes. You get narrower and narrower, and you tend to specialize more and more. And, um, you know, how many times have you met somebody in the profession, you know, and you find out, well, they started out in A, and now they're in F. Seven was the answer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. that's the correct answer. You know, you started out as uh, uh, a prosecutor, and then you end up as a public defender, and then you go into private practice, and then you become a constitutional, and then, and, 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 and. See, a professor is a constitutional lawyer at his core, and I I find that rather interesting. So many friends of mine, I I didn't choose the law, I should have probably, but... but, and I can read an entertainment contract at 200 paces and, and pull it apart pretty good and then tell the lawyers what has to go back in. But but that's just because I've been doing it for a long time, and it's just repetition, repetition, repetition. But the, the uh, uh, friends of mine, very close friends of mine, are, are, uh, are uh, uh, criminal defense attorneys. I've seen two of collect some of the most famous criminal defense attorneys in the country as friends. And it fascinates me how they're able to do what they do. And some of my friends have had some of the cases that you've read about and that you've followed. And it is just fascinating how, you know, they have such a strong sense of the Constitution. And that's kind of the basis of why they... Yeah, it reminds me of Tony Serra. We had Tony Serra on the show recently. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, I said, what's the difference between a paid informant and a bribed witness? And he said, nothing whatsoever. Hey, you know what? You know what's happened in all this excitement? We, we ran, ran out of time. time. Oh, yeah, we're out of time already. Wow, this is fun. Wow. This was fun. This was fun. Thank you very much, Professor Steve Gonzalez from Phoenix, Arizona, where uh, he and I, you know, we're both the keynote speakers at a recent event at Desert Rose. Uh, I always mistaken called Desert Storm. <laughs> I told them, Steve, I said, youth in the vanguard does not mean that you're pallbearers. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Steve, Steve, we get, Steve, we get to invite you back, right? You'll, you'll be back. 
Thank you. Okay, bye. Good. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> bye. Great guy. Great guy. Do it. Have fun with him. Magic Matt Allen, the Demons of Decadence, coming up next. And remember, next Saturday night to watch me on TV, and I'm really eager to see how cute I look. <laughs> oh, how would you want to see how cute I look? Yeah. You've seen enough of me already? Well, you haven't heard enough of me already. I'm going to hang around with Howard and Mark and, oh, even Crazy Ralph.